Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter the offer code LEFT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Melissa Harris-Perry, This Week in Blackness, Citizen Radio, Jay Smooth, and The Majority Report. There's also the surprise emergence of a narrative that Republican and Democratic candidates will have to contend with, like it or not, race. And not just in the ways we've, come, we've become accustomed to talking about race during elections. This isn't race as a thinly veiled dog whistle or race as a talking point after a candidate's gaffe. And this isn't race as part of the Obama-era political analysis. No, this is the expectation that candidates running for the American presidency should have a meaningful policy response to systemic racism and the demand for racial justice. And it's a demand that has been most clearly, consistently, and emphatically directed to the candidates by the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, even before the summer of Democratic candidate disruptions, candidate Hillary Clinton made racial justice and criminal justice reform the subject of her first major policy speech back in April in response to the Baltimore uprising that was sparked by the death in police custody of Freddie Gray. One month later, former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley became the first candidate to hear directly from protesters when he declared his candidacy back in May. You are lying! Stop your lies! You are lying to these people, O'Malley! Stop it! You are lying! You are lying! Activists stepped up their efforts to hashtag say her name. And within a week, O'Malley, Sanders, and Hillary Clinton had all said the name of Sandra Bland to audiences on the campaign trail. As of now, all three candidate stump speeches include the acknowledgement that black lives matter. And by the time Governor O'Malley appeared at the National Urban League Conference at the end of July, he was ready to back up his rhetoric with a plan and unveiled a nine-page policy proposal for reforms in policing and criminal justice. The movement kept the pressure on, with Black Lives Matter activists shutting down a Bernie Sanders speech during a Seattle rally last weekend. The next day, the seven-point platform outlined on Sanders' website became an eight-point platform when racial justice appeared as a new entry on the list of issues. Black Lives Matter activists welcomed Sanders' plan, which pledges to transform this country into a nation that affirms the value of its people of color by addressing physical, political, legal, and economic violence against black and brown Americans. And this week, members of the movement made it to the head of the pack among the Democratic candidates. According to a report from New Republic senior editor Jamil Smith, Black Lives Matter Matter activists were planning to disrupt the Hillary Clinton campaign event in Keene, New Hampshire on Tuesday. After they were prevented from entering the event by the Secret Service, the activists later met privately with Clinton for what they told Smith was an at times contentious but largely respectful conversation. By Wednesday, the movement made good on a pledge that Republican candidates would soon be hearing from them as well. Black Lives Matter activists disrupted a Nevada campaign rally for former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, reportedly forcing Bush to wrap up earlier than expected. And during a Q&A at the end of the event, Mr. Bush gave this response to a question about how he intended to address racial injustices in policing. 
all leaders, whether they're presidents running for president, uh, city council members, mayors, governors, all everybody needs to be engaged in this to uh, recognize that this is a serious problem. Perceptions become reality. And there is, there is racism in America. No one should deny that. I relate to it by, as a president, to try to create a climate where there is civility and understanding and to encourage mayors, leaders at the local level, to engage so that there's not despair and isolation in communities. The best way to solve these problems are the, pro the way that I believe Charleston solved it rather than communities that were, where there was denial that there was not a serious problem. The Las Vegas Sun reported that the woman who asked the question felt Bush's response was vague and didn't pinpoint the true issues. But as the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, as the Black Lives Matter movement recenters racial justice as one of those true issues in the presidential election, it's a question that all of the candidates may soon be forced to face. With me in the studio today is an incredible panel. Cornell William Brooks is the president and CEO of the NAACP. Julieta Garibay campaign, is the campaign's director for United We Dream. Akil Reed Amar is the Sterling Professor of Law and Political Science at Yale University and the author of The Law of the Land, a grand tour of our constitutional republic. And Jean Theo Harris is a distinguished professor of political science at Brooklyn College and the author of The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks. And I'm going to get to this a fabulous panel soon, but first I want to go to the activists themselves. And joining me from Boston is Donasia Yancey, one of the activists who met with former Secretary Hillary Clinton this week. And from San Francisco is Alicia Garza, one of the co-creators of Black Lives Matter. So um, thank you both. I want to start with Donasia. Asia. Give us a little bit of a readout on your meeting with Secretary Clinton. What did she say? And do you feel that she properly addressed the issues you wanted to hear? Uh, so we went to the event planning to ask our questions in the public forum. And like you said, we're unable to get inside. We were able to have a couple minutes with her and we were able to ask her questions. And she did give responses. Unfortunately, uh, we were looking for a very personal response on her um, responsibility uh, for advocating for policies that have decimated black communities. And what we heard was not a reflection on that. And what did you want to hear? What would have been a satisfying response from Secretary Clinton in your view, Donasia? Uh, so Secretary Clinton and her family have been personally responsible for some of these policies. Back in 1994, she advocated for three strikes policies that put thousands of black people in jail for nonviolent offenses. Um, and we wanted to hear beyond just saying Black Lives Matter, really what the shift has been for her personally um, in understanding that Black Lives Matter and advocating for that and so that we could believe that as president, um, she wouldn't make some of those same decisions. Okay, Elisa, I want to go to you because one of the questions that people have asked about um, the approach of the Black Lives Matter movement is why it is so fixated on Democrats. I think Donasia just made a really coherent point that partly because Democrats were in charge during some of the changes that people object to in policing. But, but why I focus so much on the Democratic Party when, to a lot of people's uh, criticism, it's really Republicans that the Black Lives Matter movement should be, uh, should be fixating on. Well, I think when you look at the demographics of who votes, right, in this country, 80% uh, of registered voters who are black are registered Democrat. And so, you know, our base, our fo the folks that we care about, are black people who are trying to make a decision about 
who is going to represent us over the next four years. And so it's very important to us that we are speaking to our own demographic. At the same time, we also think that it's important for the Democratic Party that, you know, espouses a lot of values around social justice uh, to be pushing a narrative that is counter to the Republicans. And in some cases, both parties, Republicans and Democrats, essentially throw black people under the bus by not having a strong narrative around racial justice. So it is important to us to push Republicans, but certainly we have to push the party that claims that it has our best interests at heart. And Alisa, when you say push the party, give us some specific things that you would like to hear from Democrats that they say that they will do that you think would make a concrete change. Well, the first thing we have to be mindful of is that we want the Democratic Party not to take black votes for granted. And certainly, yes, Black Lives Matter is focused on police brutality and issues of incarceration, but we are also focused on many more issues that impact black life, including what is the status of black queer and trans people in our communities. We know that black trans people have an average life expectancy of 35 years old. What are candidates who are vying for the highest office in the land planning on doing to ensure that black trans lives matter. We also know that black women make 64 cents to every 77 cents that a white woman makes to every dollar that a white man makes in this economy. What are presidential candidates planning on doing to ensuring that black women's lives matter in the economy and in our democracy? So we have a long way to go to really seeing a comprehensive plan being proposed by Democrats to ensure that black life matters in this country. And I'm going to go back to you and give you the last word on this because we did talk about Hillary Clinton, but what about some of the other candidates? There's been a lot of friction between the Bernie Sanders camp and some members of the Black Lives Matter movement where you know supporters of Sanders are saying, well, why criticize him? He marched with King, has become a meme. Do, are there other candidates that you think should also um, have to negotiate some changes in their strategy when, to, make, to satisfy really the Black Lives Matter movement? Absolutely. Every presidential candidate um, should expect to hear from us and absolutely should expect to be held accountable to, to stating publicly um, their stance on the Black Lives Matter movement and on promoting black lives um, in this country. Um, and how they understand and what they understand about systemic racism. The young women who um, were there, I believe it was Mara Jacqueline and Marissa Janae Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, were, were there. I believe Marissa uh, Johnson was the one who was, uh, who was uh, speaking at that moment. I actually believe we have her on the line. Marissa, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Elon. How's it going? Hi, it, <laughs> Hi good to talk to you. Uh, I, I, I'm amazed that you're asking how's it going with us. How's it going with you, madam? I'm great. I feel good. Um, I helped launch a national conversation around race and electoral politics and respectability that's still going strong two days later. I could not be better. 
Awesome. And so it's in, it's oh my god, but uh, that this is obviously now this is where they're gonna uh, flip out because like say see she's trying to 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 destroy Try. Sanders. Yeah. So like so mm-hmm. I, so I would like to give you the opportunity, madam, uh, to uh, to address some of the uh, things that uh, people are throwing out, yelling and saying uh, on uh, everywhere basically. Um, about what's happened here. So what? Like so, for the first question: Why are you targeting Sanders? <laughs> oh, why are you targeting Bernie Sanders? Um. So here's the thing: Everyone who saw the video at Netroots, I'm with the BLN National Network. I saw the video of what happened at Netroots, just like everybody else. And in that video, Patrice says very specifically to O'Malley, "You and every other." Democratic presidential candidate should expect to be confronted and interrupted until you put forth solid proposals, no matter where you go in this country. So I heard that. So when the news dropped that Sanders was going to be coming to Seattle, it was not, there wasn't even a conversation that needed to be had. Um, it was, that's the status quo for presidential candidates. He hadn't at that point put out criminal justice reform plan like O'Malley had. So it was uh, very clear cut there. And also, going after Sanders is super, super important. Um, because Sanders is like, right, he's supposed to be as far left and as progressive as we can possibly get, right? And in Seattle pol- political context, I know that really, really well, right? We have hordes and hordes of white liberals and white progressives, uh, and yet we still have all the same racial problems. So for us locally in our context, confronting Sanders was the equivalent of confronting the large, white, liberal, Democrat, leftist uh, contingent that we have here in Seattle, who not only is not has not supported BLM in measurable ways, but is often very harmful and is, and is upholding the white supremacist society that we live in um, locally. So that's part of why we felt the need to address him and his supporters locally. What we didn't know was that that idea of the white liberal, the white moderate who's complicit in white supremacy, mm-hmm. that that idea would resonate with people nationally and internationally and spur into this larger conversation. And so, so that, so I just, so I don't want to be clear because I feel like, uh, people are going to be going through this, Amani, with mm-hmm. a fine tooth comb. Yep. Uh, so the, the idea, the, I, the idea that you just laid out is specifically that they, uh, that Democratic, uh, candidates will be challenged on this until they have a clear cut, um, mm-hmm. response. Uh, so what do you say to the people who say, well, why aren't you, uh, why aren't you, uh, p- picketing Hillary? Um, Hillary is better. <laughs> has better secret uh, service than Obama. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just like, yo, it's like how it's cute when people are like, it's not like there was a stage and there was Hillary and Sanders and I ran over to Sanders. It's, so it's really, it's really the stupidest thing that people could, I, I just have nothing else to say. But other than that, it's just super stupid because it's also about accessibility. Uh, I, 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 funny, I literally said this to someone, uh, earlier today, when, uh, that, uh, having this conversation. I was like, I was like, how easy would it be to get to the ex-first lady, ex-senator, uh, ex-secretary uh, of state? <laughs> at this yeah, point, like, yeah. it was, it was just a thing that happened. And also, she's not even doing these big rallies. She's doing these private dinners. She's do- yeah, she's doing these private dinners that are invite only. I mean, it's, it's positively ludicrous for people to think that, th- that these activists would not be protesting Hillary if they could get to her. Mm. And also, go ahead, please go sorry, ahead. I'll say I'll say this about Hillary: we don't, uh, Hillary should not feel safe at all. 
but uh, we're really intentional about what we do politically. So, right, Net, uh, at Netroot, O'Malley and Sanders were both confronted. Hillary can't still have to respond to that, both in word and action. So recognizing, too, that addressing Sanders and confronting Sanders is changing the whole political landscape, period, and that Hillary does have to respond. And then I think we also have a political analysis about how Sanders is being used by the Democrats, that he's essentially uh, being used to go around and sweep up all of this momentum, right, from grassroots movements, including Black Lives Matter, um, to only then later give it to Hillary when she wins the nomination. Um, and so it's part of that understanding that you actually can still get at Hillary by going through Sanders. And so... And so the conversation, like, because when uh, when uh, Tia Oso uh, and um, and Patrice Colors was uh, was at the Netroots action, uh, one one of the things that they uh, said numerous times is that this is this is a call out of the the white progressive space as a whole, right? Uh, that this is a, this is something that there's been a problem around this for uh, for years, and that uh, you uh, people come in and they they feel like oh like we're allies, but you're not actually listening to us. We're not at the table. Or we're not having these discussions. So. What do you say to people uh, who say, "Well, why didn't you call the Sanders uh, campaign or the Sanders organizer, uh, organizers of this event and ask, could you uh, be a part of it'?" Um, part of it comes out of my personal politics and BLM politics that um, everybody keeps saying that black people need to be respectable, that they need to ask permission, that they need to work with the timetable that's been given to them, and I absolutely just rebuke and deny all of that. And so part of uh, even how how the action went is really funny to see people being like, they have a good message, but they're naive on their tactic, or they didn't mean to do the tactic. Like, the unrespectability and the tactic, the way we went about it, every single part of it was very intentional. And from a position of authority of that, black people don't need to be respectful. Black people don't need to go on your timetable. Black people don't need to reach out to Bernie Sanders. If anything, Bernie Sanders should have been courting before he went to any other major city, he should have been courting BLM. And even at that point, uh, I haven't seen any politician that's done anything for black lives. So I don't have any need to, to meet with them, period. I haven't seen anybody really, really willing to step it up. So there's a lot of ways that politicians are trying to get activists swept up in rhetoric and sitting around the table and sitting around the table to do nothing but repress movements. And so I, the work that I do in particular is agitation work of agitating the political scene that people are having these conversations and that politicians are forced to do their own work and do their own reforms um, because of work that I've done on the ground. Well, what would you say uh, to the people who say uh, that uh, that uh, that you're 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 hurting your cause that like oh you're you're, you're turning people off from your cause? Um, I don't give a fuck about the white game. <laughs> I don't and I never will. I don't. I literally don't. Like, pussy popping, don't give a fuck. Haters can keep rolling. I'm not respectable. We're in a fuss procession. Like, I don't care. I don't care. And the thing is, is like, the respectability part is so huge on this, right? Because if we say that Black Lives Matter, it's all Black Lives Matter, literally all, even our tactics, can't all be respectable because my tactics also have to be reflective of black people's humanity that the person who has education their life matters the person who does it their life matters the person who talks respectable 
their life matters, the person who doesn't matter. The person who clapped that, clapped that matters. The person who yells in your face matters. And so this whole notion that there are conditions on our humanity, fuck that. So I'm, part of the work that I'm talking about, agitation working with unrespectability, is actually being un- so unrespectable because A, our lives are on the line, and I'm never going to privilege white feelings over black lives. But B, part of that is declaring that, no, you don't get to put conditions around our humanity. And so really what I've seen as the, the greatest outcome of everything that happened um, is it's been like other, uh, other big moments, including the killing of Mike Brown, where you get to see within your personal networks and extended networks who's down, who's really about getting black folk free, and who's not. And it's made everyone show their ass. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's really, really important because it's like I need to know who's with me and I know who's keeping me back and who's not really about that life. So I think the unrespectability really reveals that. And we've seen that in the conversation we've had today. People are like, oh, I can't believe people on my newsfeed are saying this and this and this. It's actually good for you to know that. I've never seen dumber people on Twitter than I have in the last two days. Uh, it's really disconcerting. But I feel like that's like a story that we need to be very... I do have the Seattle gentle. protest in... Yeah. Yeah. I do want to be like... About it. Yeah. Uh, because we we are not a show that wants to shout our opinions at you. Uh, even though Since some people when? say that. I mean, we do. But we would rather you like know why you agree with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think this dumb thing is happening right now that tends to happen in every election, which is you're with us or against us. And the with us means you don't question anything the candidate does. And that's not good, guys. Especially when it's the so-called progressive candidate who potentially could be open to a lot of this stuff. I don't think it's fair to Bernie... To say, oh, he's so fragile and close-minded. We have to protect him from all of this. Yeah. It's like, no, he's fucking not. Also, he can look, handle it. If you look at the language, are we just talking about it? Uh, there's oh, so yes. much stuff. If you look at the language being used, for example, someone tweeted me a white person who claims to support black people tweeted, no presidential candidate will join with an uncontrollable group like them. Ooh, yeah, there's a lot what is of that language. there's a lot of racist stuff. And somebody tweeted me and they said that the so real quick the the background is that um, Black Lives Matter protesters interrupted um, a Bernie event in Seattle yeah. and they s- prevented him from speaking. So he, they took the podium and he ended up leaving and people got very upset. And um, according to a report in the Seattle Times. And other places as well. Some individuals in the audience were calling for the black protesters to be arrested. Yes. Which is really fucked up if you call yourself an ally. Yeah. To demand black protesters be arrested is like mind boggling. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I think somebody tweeted me and they said that Bernie was physically intimidated by these women, 
which is another racially coded thing to say. Yeah. Um, like they're animals. They're gonna attack Bernie Sanders. Like none of that was happening. No. Um, also, the whole reason Black Lives Matter protesters have thus far targeted Netroots Nation and Bernie Sanders rallies is because Hillary Clinton is surrounded by layers of security. Shot on sight. So they're really just going to wherever they can. Oh, and also, like, uh, with Republicans, with like, why don't you target Jeb Bush? Why don't you target Donald Trump? Because they're not going to change their minds. Right. But Bernie potentially could and change has. his mind. And he has. When this is a those... really important point. He now has on his website... Uh, his statement on racial justice, which everybody gleef all these trolls gleefully tweeted at me. That was and not they're like, there. why don't you fucking read this? And I'm like, why don't you read my Twitter? I already posted it. That's there because of the Black Lives yeah, Matter protest. That popped up after Netroots Nations. You're supposed to disrupt. You're supposed to. Um, that's how everything got done. This also is just such a tired critique of direct action where people are like can't you just make your point but not be disruptive let about Lyndon it? Johnson just come to come to it on his own let right. him find it himself just, let him pray on it yeah. it'll just happen organically that never ever sometimes ever, ever in between happens. Lyndon Johnson shouting the n-word he has time to he likes to reflect and maybe then he'll like no yeah um I don't know if I really have much I want to say beyond that other than I do okay I have a lot okay I supported Bernie Sanders and was more naive, probably than you were, because I, I, I always am. Yeah. Um, and the way his supporters are treating this make me want to not promote yeah. or help or do anything. It's very at all. ugly, and it's very telling too, because I think this is a this is a real transformative moment because the Black Lives Matter protesters are revealing a lot of racism within the progressive movement and a lot of progressives don't want to believe that they too participate in institutional racism. And, 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 and now here's what the good people are probably saying who listen to our show. And I agree with you. No candidate will do more than Bernie Sanders compared to Hillary Clinton, compared sure. to O'Malley, compared to, yup, I agree. But that is why it's really important to make sure to hold him accountable to get I mean, I think it's something like he needs 95% of the black vote to win. Cool. Yeah. How amazing would it be? How historic would it be if Bernie Sanders did an event and invited the Black Lives Matter protesters to speak? Um, how incredible would it be if Bernie Sanders' next speech said, you know what? The reason we have civil rights in this country is because of disruptive actions like this. Right. I it will be fine. You know, this matters. When you say, well, he talks about it when he talks about class and inequality. That's not all Black Lives Matter. Yeah, Bernie, Bernie really needs to get past this whole thing where he, he just wants to talk about class. Class As has, if institutional racism and sexism don't exist. Right. And that's why people get really frustrated with him. And maybe it's just a matter of... It's that, not Wall Street bankers who are shooting down black kids in the street. Right. I, I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, he's had a very limited view of the world being a privileged cis white man. But I also believe that Bernie, being a progressive, perhaps would be open minded to. And, and let me be clear what the activists are asking of him 
isn't huge. They just want him to acknowledge that police brutality exists, that institutional racism exists. And he did on his website. and he That black he, people are being targeted. But I really, I agree with you. I think it's going to take a sort of public offering. Like, Bernie's going to have to give a speech or something where he says, like, I hear you. That'd be awesome. Every time you come to these events, I acknowledge you. I hear you. I'll support the shit out of that. Uh, yeah, and he needs to just show his support. But... That's not asking a lot if you're running as the so-called progressive candidate, yeah. you know? Um, you can't ask people to vote for you and say, just get in line and then not listen to their notes when they're like, okay, also, you want us to vote for you? Acknowledge that we're being gunned down by the police. Oh, yeah, because like also like the people who are all there to see Bernie are going to vote for Bernie. That's why they're there. So what are you actually interrupting? Like, just like a fucking free concert? Oh you know what God. I mean? Oh, my God. And these conspiracy theories that... that the Black Lives Matter protesters are or being Hillary paid Clinton by Hillary Clinton or George Soros. Like, guys, I guess we just need to say there's you, absolutely no evidence that's you true. You sound like Alex Jones conservative. It's incredibly condescending to say black people are just dumb puppets. I had people tweet me saying that black people have sold out to Hillary Clinton. <laughs> it's like, are you a fucking moron? Like, you sound just as bad as these Donald Trump people. Yeah, it's just, it's incredibly condescending to say that black activists are like not capable of coming up with their own yeah didn't agendas oh uh, didn't black people get enough macklemore released a new song with ed sheeran <laughs> you're welcome yeah two of my favorite rappers ed sheeran and macklemore oh uh, yeah this whole election is going to be depressing um which sucks because i really thought i was so excited that even though I had problems with Bernie, I'm like, oh, I actually have someone I can root for, like over Hillary in the Yeah, I'm hoping debate. that let's see what happens because the Black Lives Matter protesters are incredible and these actions aren't gonna stop and Bernie's gonna Bernie's already at a fork in the road uh moment where he's either going to have to do the right thing or continue down this path of just ignoring them and running away. Yeah. And that ultimately obviously won't work for him. So I'm hoping he'll really, it's really encouraging that he changed. He included a racial justice statement on his website. Really fast. Uh, which also, by the way, protest works, right? If the Black Lives Matter protesters hadn't interrupted him at Netroots Nation, hadn't interrupted him in Seattle, right. who knows if Bernie ever would have made that statement. Right. Um, so, yeah, I hope there's more. John Lewis was just on Melissa Harris Perry's show. Um, or they played a clip of her interviewing him. Back. Yeah, yeah. And she asked him about the Black Lives Matter protesters. And he was like, I think it's great they're being disruptive. I hope they keep interrupting. I hope they keep being disruptive. And yep. that's how I feel as well. You know, um, it's working. Squarespace is the online platform that lets anyone build professional websites and online portfolios. If you know anything about anything, then you'll know the truism that content is king. If you want people to take your website seriously, you've got to put something worthwhile on there and make it look good. The content is up to you, but making it look good is easy with Squarespace. They've always had a focus on design, but in just the last year, they've introduced 15 new templates, a partnership with Getty Images, perfect for finding beautiful pictures for your site, and a partnership with the now 
renowned project for finding great icons and decals for your site. Plus, they made a logo builder so you can create your own unique logo. Their full list of features is shockingly long, so almost no matter what you need in a website, Squarespace will have you covered and it'll look good doing it. Everything starts at an amazingly low $8 a month and you can take an additional 10% off when you sign up by using the offer code LEFT at checkout. If you sign up for a year, you get 10% off that full year plus a free domain. So try it out today and then use the offer code LEFT when you sign up to save yourself some cash and show your support for this show at the same time. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Okay, so I want to talk about Bernie Sanders for a minute because I really like Bernie Sanders. I'm rooting for Bernie Sanders and looking over the events of the past week or two, I just I feel like someone needs to step up and defend him. Someone really needs to defend Bernie Sanders from his own supporters. Not all of you, but some of you Bernie Sanders supporters really need to calm the hell down right now. Last week in Seattle, we saw two young women step to Bernie Sanders with raw anger. Him and his people didn't really know how to handle it. The crowd reacted badly and it escalated into an uncomfortable scene. I felt uncomfortable watching it. I'm not going to lie. I don't think it was a perfectly polished piece of political theater, but I do think the net result was positive and I respect it. If you disagree, if you didn't like this particular tactic, I think there's room to disagree. I can respect that, but what I don't respect is how quick a lot of Sanders supporters were to jump from discomfort with that moment to disrespect for those two women and from discomfort with that moment to dismissing an entire movement and the underlying attitude it reveals towards black people who presume to think that Sanders needs to earn their vote. And there's so many things I could say about this, but I want to keep it brief. So look, if I come up to you and say, hey, you see that guy over there? I know you've never met him before, but that guy guy is your best friend. And if you don't take my word for that right now and just get inside his van, then you don't know what's good for you. If I stepped to you like that, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't want to talk to me or that guy ever again. If I'm trying to help that guy make friends, this is that's the worst way to go about it. You need to stop telling us that he marched with Martin Luther King. I promise we already heard about that. And that's great that he marched with Dr. King in the 60s, but we also marched with Janet Jackson in the 80s, and she taught us to ask, what have you done for me lately? Anyone who cares about you and wants your trust should be ready to answer that question. And if you really believe in Bernie Sanders, you should have faith that he can answer that question. Which is why, at the end of the day, instead of being mad at Black Lives Matter or mad at those two activists, every Bernie Sanders supporter should be thanking them for what they've done. Because no matter how awkward some of it might might be to watch, this pressure is exactly what Sanders needed in order to prove himself and make his campaign stronger, to make it what it needed to be. There's been a gap for decades between lefties who think that economic justice automatically covers racial justice and those who think that racial justice is actually a thing of its own that you need to focus on. This pressure from Black Lives Matter has gotten Bernie Sanders to bridge that gap more than he ever has before, and that's a win for everybody. 
everybody's winning right now. Black Lives Matter is doing exactly what people said they couldn't do. They're focusing on electoral politics and having specific impact on policy discussion. And that work is already bringing each of the candidates a little bit closer to truly representing all of the people they're supposed to serve. Everybody's winning. No campaign and no movement has ever prevailed by trying to stay comfortable. You're supposed to have messy, awkward, painful moments and get stronger by working past them. That's what the work requires and that's how you get strong enough to do the work together. I've heard again and again from Sanders supporters that if I feel like he's being sloppy sometimes, that he's not graceful and light on his feet, I should cut him slack for that and I should stick with him because the cause is so worthwhile. I agree with that and I think it goes both ways. And that means if you are a Sanders supporter who truly believes in the values he speaks, there is no way you will let one uncomfortable moment make you turn your back on a cause and a movement as vital as the one represented by that raw anger from those two women on that stage. And I think Bernie Sanders gets that. So I'm hoping that his supporters are going to get it too. This person who I've worked with and knows me, and I, and I, and up until this point, I would have, I would have actually argued there's no way that this person would have said the comments that was said. I would, I would have said, like, nah, that's impossible. And they got on the thread and, and they're saying this stuff. And I, I genuinely was, I guess, I think the best term for it was, was hurt. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because I didn't like, I like, I, Intellectually speaking, yes, I am fully aware of what white privilege uh, is about how people look at things, how it affects you, how it uh, uh, creates blind spots, all of that stuff. I am aware of how that works. But at the same time, it's, it's always so like, like a shock to the system when you see it happening, like live. Like I feel like that was like one of the big things around the Zimmerman verdict. Like the idea that we are, we're fully aware of racism in America. We're fully aware that uh, the system is not built, uh, uh, to, uh, in fact, for justice to happen for people of color, that you can be an unarmed kid with carrying iced tea and Skittles and you will see your murderers still go free. And we had that moment of collective mourning. And I think that it was that, 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 that moment where people were like, this is real. Is this re- so? This is re- like it's not intellectual. It's not a theory. We, we're looking at this completely. So the comment was glad, to, uh, glad, uh, glad I got to hear uh, your explanation. Real, recognize, uh, real, recognize, real. Uh, we actually got uh, uh, got to shine light on the myth of the non the non-racist white progressive. This was big props. This is what person someone said. Uh, obviously, I do not uh, believe that every white progressive is racist. I, I, I'm very annoyed at the fact that I must say this yeah, every time. Stupid. You don't even have to say. But it. I mean, but you, God forbid, I have to because yeah. I didn't, it'll be uh, uh, quoted and all hell break loose. And someone, uh, the, someone I know responded with, if you honestly think that non-racist white progressives is a myth, it makes it hard to work together. Yes, there were clearly racists in that crowd, but they, that did not sound like a crowd of everyone shouting. I, could, I, I couldn't make it out all uh, uh, what she said, and I wasn't there, but I would like to think that I'm doing all I can to analyze and dismantle white supremacy. And if I'm told I, cannot, I can't be an ally, I, probably will, go, I, I, prob- I will probably go silent. Well, that's nice. Good for you. Fully for you. So glad that you can do that. You have that luxury. And I respond. I'd like to go silent. 
Yeah. I really, I would love to go silent. I would love to not have to get home from, I had a lovely dinner on Sunday night and I got home and someone was like, have you been watching, checking what's going on in Ferguson? I was like, nah, I was just about to check the feeds. I would love to not have to check the feeds to see if more black people are being killed in Ferguson. Oh my God. I would love that. I would love to just be able to go home and watch some Bojack Horseman, just chill out, drink some, drink some bullet whiskey and, and you know, just be free. Elon posted something on the, the Facebook group. And he just said, my heart. And I was like, oh, dear, what happened? And I had to go got up out of bed <laughs> at 2 in the morning <laughs> and check my Twitter. And then I saw Call of Duty dudes walking all over Ferguson. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the open carry dudes, what, what, yeah. what did they call uh, them? They're, they're, oath, they're called Oath, oath Keepers. Oath Keepers. Like Call of Duty guys. They're just yeah. white guys with guns when black people are completely unarmed and unarmored. Yeah. Unarmed, unarmed, and are being arrested. But the white dudes with white guns... Dudes. Just and the cop, around, the cop's no like, don't worry, you militia guys, you guys got this, right? Fist bump. You guys got this. And by the way, that response of my heart, like, I, at that point, I genuinely, I was having heart palpitations because I had, like, between the absolute just, like, just, like, hatred being thrown towards Marissa, watching what's happening in Ferguson, seeing people that, like, knowing that this is not, like, 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 like the whole, uh, troll. Cause in the back of my mind, I think I've been trying to make this a less of a, a issue. Like, it must be so many trolls. It must be so many trolls. Until I actually had to go blocking people right and left. And when I, when you block them, uh, I had to go look at their Facebook page. Oh God. And so that means all of a sudden I got to see that these were just all regular people. Yeah. And just regular supposed supporters. I see that they're making comments about other, uh, progressive ideas. And it's, and these are the people that are saying all of this froggy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I responded to, uh, the, the, this uh, woman who uh, had said this because I didn't even I, I, I didn't have a response to it and that, at the time I had been blocking people right and left like if you said some dumb shit I was just blocking you boom not, I'm done with this I'm not having this conversation and then someone I know and I saw it and like I responded I said why would you possibly go silent is your support predicated on the overwhelming consensus among people of color that you're absolutely welcomed? Would it be reasonable if I, as a dude, decided to go silent or if women shat on me about speaking up? And some absolutely have. I'd argue that this isn't the time uh, to not all white progressives, folks. I mean, just read this thread. Just read the comments. Just read the bullshit on Twitter. There are times and places for certain types of commentary and times when it's best to pull back. And the idea of going silent on oppression and privilege just because some folks all don't welcome you would be absolutely terrible, and 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 and, and the uh, the dude who made the comment. That's what because I wasn't even defending the dude's comments. I was I was more like I'm like people are gonna have feelings, and the fact is there's a lot there's not a lot of trust here, and I can't really fight with people about trust as people are writing this shit. Yeah, you can't fight about this type of trust. And so uh, uh, the, the response to that was like, the only way I don't, I, I didn't burn out on social activism is to enjoy doing and doing it. I want to go to protest. I'm happy to help and do grunt work, but I want to go for beer uh, with people after. No matter how uh, righteous the cause, I burn out if I don't feel included. And it is pretty, oh, it's pretty clear that uh, the dude who had said it that you wouldn't want me at any protest. Message received, and I'm reading this. I'm like. What the fuck? Are you shitting me? Really? He's talking about wanting to go out for beers? No, no, like, right. Like the idea of like, like uh, of that, and I'm I'm reading it, and I'm like, this cannot, this cannot be what's happening. And 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 and, uh, and they responded, and they say, um, I I say, ma'am, to her, just I didn't have nothing, and and she goes, uh, why? I respect you, Elon. We've worked together for years. What am I not seeing? Now, please note, you've heard what I've said to her so far. She has not heard anything that I said. Mm-hmm. 
I respond with, I'm literally telling you, you're basing your fight against white supremacy on whether every Negro would feel comfortable with you. Do you know how problematic uh, uh, white progressives as a brand have been? Do you understand how uncomfortable a lot of people of color are around them? And in all honesty, it's with good reason. There isn't a lot of trust here. And when you say things like you will go silent because you don't feel welcomed because of one Facebook post made of generalization, do you fit that mold? If not, why go silent because of a Facebook post? You just pointed out that you've worked with me for years, yet you would say on my Facebook page that you will go silent on dismantling white supremacy, something that I actively suffer under because you were made to feel uncomfortable on social media one time. Do you realize how that sounds and knowing you directly how that might actually be offensive and hurt my feelings? But at the at this moment, you're more concerned about your feelings and that's fine, but why post this? Why not step back and look at it later? Why not drop me a Facebook message? Do you think I wouldn't have responded? But this is the type of thing that erodes trust this exact thing because and i think white progressives aren't hearing themselves they're not hearing when they say this and how it should respond like i had one person come at me mommy, because they said that they, they basically said uh, uh about marissa uh, at the uh, bernie uh, sanders campaign they said like um uh, this isn't about uh, uh this is uh, because you're black if a, if a kkk member uh, uh got on stage uh we would uh, they would they would get booed the same way and i'm like really you're comparing someone fighting uh, 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 uh against oppression uh, to kkk members Go F yourself. And the people were like, and someone came on like, well, actually, that's not what he said. He didn't, he didn't call her a KKK member because I'm fucking stupid. Right. I'm fuck. I don't understand how words work. I don't understand how things are connected Medical at all. Like the fact is, like you, you, you literally say uh, that uh, that uh, it's it's uh, if a KKK member got up, the, that you would re- the crowd would have responded in the exact same way, implying that if you that whatever she did is looked at through the exact same lens as if a KKK member went on stage. Am I what? Why are you pretending like we're fucking stupid? Because mm-hmm. they think we're fucking stupid, Elon. They like, do. I, I don't understand this. It's like, it's, like, it's so insulting. Mm-hmm. It's so insulting and so, mm-hmm. it's insulting and hurtful. Especially when it comes out of uh, spaces where, like, folks that I've supposedly worked with that I thought understood this and actually understood, uh, like, what we've been talking about and explaining so much. And to find out they still don't, they're still within this certain bubble of, uh, 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 and, and if, if they feel uncomfortable at any point in time, if she can't go out and have a beer with you after the action, then she won't fight for, uh, right. uh, 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 uh for a, 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 a equality and oppression. I don't need a beer with people I go uh, out and speak up for. I don't need to go uh, have beer you with uh, with organizers that, around um, immigration stuff. I like, like we, we did work around immigration. And I, I didn't need uh, immigration uh, uh, folks who uh, worked uh, uh, who work in that place uh, to, uh, to say, "Oh, thank you, Elon. Thank you so much for doing this work." That wasn't the reason why I did it. I did it because it needed to happen, and we needed to point out that this is a problem. These are issues. That's why I did the work. When I talk, when I speak up around um, uh, 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 issues around uh, 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 reproductive rights or street harassment, something like that, I'm not doing it so that people say thank you for it. It's not like this is the point. And, like in all honesty, people have actually said negative things like, "Oh, you're just you're you're, you're a problem." Like this is this is just, this is the same thing, and like and I tried to frame it as if, if like I was being abusive to folks, and I could sit here and go like, "Well." If you think, if you want to name me as an abuser, then I just forget you. You guys can fight on your own. You go, you go have this battle yourself. I don't fucking do that. You know what I do? I go, huh, well, that person I probably won't interact with about this, but the work needs to happen. And I move the fuck forward! That's why I move the fuck forward! Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
what is what is it about this necessity of for people feeling validated when there's if you're fighting for fucking free? It's like if you're like like you were uh, uh your, your 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 house is dirty and you pick up garbage off the floor and you're like you know what I really should be uh, uh, really appreciated for the fact that I'm picking up this garbage off the floor. Like really, because you're. I thought the whole idea was that the house was clean. Yeah, I thought that was that was the point of it. About it. like you need to you need to be uh, appreciated and, and 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 constantly told over and over, you're okay, you're respect. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. You're, you're, the spe- you're the special white lady. Nobody has fucking you're time just, for that. Thank you. Thank you for being the white person that the, the good white person. Because these rather other white people, they're problems. But you, you're special. You understand the plight. You're almost like a, a honorary black person. Oh my god, you can totally even say the n word. You want to go out for some fried chicken? <laughs> Would that make you feel fucking better? Some people say the rappers don't have feelings. We have feelings. We have feelings. Some people say that we are not rappers. We're rappers. That hurts our feelings. Hurts our feelings when you speak. We're not rappers. Some people say that rappers are invincible. We're invincible. Invincible. What you are about to hear are true stories. Real experiences. Autobiographical raps. Things that happen to us. All true. Bring the rhyme. I make a meal for my fans. Trying to make it delicious. Trying to keep it nutritious. Create wonderful dishes. Not one of them thinks about the way I feel. Nobody compliments the meal. I got hurt feelings, I got hurt feelings. I feel like a prize asshole, no one even mentions my casserole. I got hurt feelings, I got hurt feelings. Could have said something nice about my profession role. Yesterday, I quoted Stephen A. Smith about brothers being killed in inner cities, but you read only a selected excerpt. Wow, didn't expect that from you. Uh, well, perhaps here's a very short HuffPost video. If you click it, you can't. You can't pull that. Well, I'm not going to click a video in the middle of it either. Let me go back up to your black lives should have been mattering the whole time when brothers are being killed every day by blacks. I don't give a shit what Stephen A. Smith says, honestly. Because a black guy said something? That it necessarily? Well, why don't you quote to me Ben Carson? I'm sure Howard Kane has a problem with it, too. Herman Kane. And Howard Kane. Both the Kane. That's right. His brother, Howard. Who cares what Stephen Smith said? Where is Howard Kane when you need him? Is it, is it really that hard to see the difference? I have no doubt that black people living in urban areas where there is a high density of crime fear the potential of getting killed by another black person. But white people in that situation would at least feel like I'm not going to, at least I'm not going to get shot by the cops. (laughs) And if you don't live in a high crime area, but you're still an African American, and let's say you're driving to your job, you can still get pulled over and end up dead in a jail cell. So it's irrelevant. The point is, is that black people should not have to walk around being afraid of the institution that is set up in society to protect you. That's the point. So good for Stephen Smith. Good for him. 
Beard, comrades, your take on the supposed BLM reps hijacking the Sanders event is astonishing and so entirely off base. This is the first time I've seriously disagreed with your take in a dozen years. They took over a rally, called their champion, the, the intended speaker, and the crowd all racist, and caused the event to be canceled. That is not a good thing. Suggesting as you did that anything good... Sorry. Why would you call him there? Listen to Malois. Go listen to, uh, you know, you should listen to the interview with the woman who, uh, one of the women who did it. Why would you call him their champion, though? I mean, I think that that's part of the problem with this conversation. I mean, he, I agree. I think he has a great record on civil rights issues. I think, unlike some of his supporters, is actually very genuinely interested in hearing what Black Lives Matter activists have to say. But he's not, I mean, it's not even about having an individual champion. But that's a really, I mean, just be aware of the framing of that. Like, shut up and let a senator be your champion. Or he is your champion. That's not, I mean, you know that that's not the way change happens on any number of issues. You see, even on something like take debt free college, which is completely non controversial in this audience. We've established how that came out of a context of organizing and policy positioning. And no one was the champion of that, even a guy as great as Bernie Sanders. And he's embracing it. And it's helping him as we've play the audio. Yeah. uh, Uh, Play the audio. This is him in L.A. After, after being interrupted. How do you justify if your belief is that this was not an effective protest by them? How do you justify Bernie Sanders saying this? And let me begin by reiterating the point that Simone and others have made. And that is, there is no president, none, one year after the death of Michael Brown, no president who will fight harder to end institutional racism than I will. Now, the Simone he's referring to is his new communications director, Simone Sanders, I believe is her name, no relation. As far as I know, uh, who was a member of or self-professed member of the Black Lives Movement. And the others he was talking about were other leaders of the Black Lives Movement who spoke before he did at their next rally in L.A. Now, you tell me it's not effective. How do you how is it that that is in Bernie Sanders speech? And you can say, well, Bernie's, Bernie's intimidated by, what? Excuse me, what? Well, I'm just saying, like, there's no way to explain it. You cannot hold the opinion that it's not effective and then tell me two nights later, Bernie Sanders says that at a rally of 27,000 people. They have moved their issue in the forefront to no detriment of anyone in the sound of my voice. And to the benefit, I would suggest, to the candidate, Bernie Sanders, who needs to win South Carolina. So I don't need to listen to Stephen Smith. With all due respect, I don't listen to Mike Malloy about it. I'm happy to engage in a debate about it. If someone can explain this to me, call in 646-257-3920. I'd be happy to hear how someone can explain to me 
why Bernie Sanders is saying that. Because if, if it's going to turn Bernie Sanders off, right, if it's not going to help their, uh, get the message out, then why is Bernie Sanders saying that? It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Long before independent Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders announced that he was running for president as a Democrat, a progressive push to shift presumptive nominee Hillary Clinton to the left had already become one of the central narratives of the Democratic primary. It only picked up momentum after Sanders' announcement, and his speeches drew massive crowds of supporters and, his, and, his, and energized his campaign. But as the Black Lives Matter movement has pursued its strategy of directly confronting Sanders and other candidates on the issue of racial justice, another narrative has emerged about progressives being the ones who are getting pushed by grassroots activists. And in recent weeks, that push has come to shove on social media. On the one hand, you have activists who believe Sanders' message of economic populism misses the mark on specific disparities faced by African Americans because of racism. And on the other, there's Sanders' fervent liberal fans who are turned off by the movement's confrontational strategy against a candidate they believe is already the one who's most sympathetic to the activists' demands. So let's get the panel in on that question specifically. And I want to go to you first, Gene, on that, because that tension people have been surprised by, that you've got Bernie Sanders supporters, fervent supporters, literally fighting with members of the Black Lives Matter movement, particularly on social media. Is that historically off for, for, for there to be that kind of tension within the Democratic left? No. Not at all. But, I mean, this is what social movements do. They move the conversation. They make people uncomfortable. Right? I think we have a very sanitized view when we look back to the civil rights movement, right, about how everybody loved it, about everybody was on board from the very beginning, about how John F. Kennedy was, you know, ready when, in fact, that was not the case, right? What moved John F. Kennedy was activists on the ground all over the country insisting and insisting and insisting right because Kennedy during the 1960 election right makes this very uh, historic decision right King is in jail makes a call right this is where you first start to see a little bit of movement but Kennedy then doesn't move really till 63 and part of what makes him move is activists on the ground yeah, and absolutely. that's what we're seeing today right and I think we get nervous because we have this whitewashed sanitized you know um, I like to call it a Macy's parade balloon sort of version of the civil rights movement as opposed to what the civil rights movement actually was which was uncomfortable and which had to move liberals and progressives. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I love that point because I think, um, Cornell, sometimes people forget that you also had John Lewis intending to go to the march on Washington in 1963 and essentially tell off the Kennedy administration, right. theoretically their own side. And he had this scathing speech he wanted to give. And then you had the internecine fight with him and King where the King people were saying, whoa, we need to hold back a little bit. So that tension was always there. But but, but think about it this way. King was also a John Lewis at one point in his career. So we have uh, um, the, the uh, uh, SN, I should say, the NAACP relative to SNCC, the Southern Leadership Conference relative to the NAACP. Fifty years from now, it may well be the Black Lives Movement 
is upstaged by a young upstart organization. Right. Right. So the point being here is we need to celebrate our young activists and understand that they create a certain kind of energy and a certain moral urgency. The fact of the matter is in, within the NAACP, one-tenth of our board seats are reserved for young people as a consequence of young people's demands within the NAACP. Um, so the point being is we need to lay hold of and claim this tradition of young activists acting as leaven in the bread. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be embraced. Yeah, and absolutely. And at the same time, you have all these sort of hurt feelings being expressed, particularly by the Bernie Sanders supporters. I've been really struck by kind of this sort of sense of, well, we've been wounded because somehow the fact that Bernie Sanders was at the March on Washington with 250,000 other people means he should not be pushed or criticized at all. Well, let's put what uh, Cornell just said. Uh, and it's great to be um, on st set with my former student, Cornell, right. um, in, in uh, an even larger um, uh, context. Uh, so uh, um, the people who gave us the American Revolution and the Constitution, on average, tended to be younger. Um, uh, they were radicals. They were reformers than the traditionalist opponents. I'm, I'm wearing my Abe Lincoln tie. Lincoln decided at a very early age that slavery was wrong, and he remembered those um, uh, commitments made early on and, and helped redeem them uh, later. Bernie Sanders was there at the March on Washington mm -hmm. as a young man. The 60s were what they were in part because of a demographic bulge, the, the, the baby boomers. All sorts of um, babies started getting born as soon as World War II ended, and they started coming of age in the 60s, and that's Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and we want them as um, older people to remember those passions and commitments that many of them first formed early on. You see a huge demographic difference on, say, same-sex marriage right. since trans um, folks were, were, were mentioned um, in the earlier piece. Um, there's a huge just demographic difference yeah. between young adults adults and, and older Americans on this. So, so throughout American history, there has been a lot of reformist energy. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking, uh, Gene and I, be before about um, some of the student activists um, in the Brown versus Board of Education and companion cases. What, fifth, yeah. a 15-year-old? Barbara um, Johns. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to get Julia to end where we may have to start your answer now and then come back after the break because what really strikes me is the dream... The Dreamers, the Dream Act movement, the same criticisms were made of Dreamers, saying, why are you targeting the liberal Democratic president and the Democratic Party? Why are you not targeting Republicans? Those same arguments were made, were they not? Correct. That's exactly what they told us. Everybody was telling us, why are you attacking Obama, who said he, re he supported immigration reform? I think at the end of the day, especially for us young people as immigrants, we know that the liberation of black and brown youth is connected. That at the end of the day, the same system that stops our parents or our dreamers in the middle of the road because they're brown or they're immigrant looking um, and ends up deporting them is the same system that right now is murdering black youth and black people. And so to us, it's very clear there is that connection. Um, and yeah, there is the place that young people are pushing that might not be very comfortable, um, that is challenging the status quo at times, um, but that's what it takes. Yeah. Um, pushing someone that might not want to hear it, but needs to hear it. the livelihood of our people matters. Yes.
Jones uh, apparently uh, wrote uh, something. He can't. He, he he went in. He went all in on CNN. I'm going to read the first bit, and then hopefully uh, our flailer in chief will will tweet out the link. Many observers. The, the post is titled "Disrupting Bernie Sanders and the Democrats: Five Lessons." Many observers are perplexed by the decision of some Black Lives Matter activists to twice disrupt attempted addresses by presidential hopeful Senator Bernie Sanders. Well, I'm not perplexed. The new generation of civil rights activists never accepted trickle-down economics from conservatives. Today they are rejecting trickle-down justice, trickle-down justice from the liberals. I love and admire Sanders, but until the Black Lives Matter activists started snatching away their microphones, economic populists like him rarely spotlighted the specific pain that has been building in the African-American community. Instead, they focus mainly on so-called class issues. He goes on to say, Over the years, many black leaders have asked the populists to include specific remedies for our specific ills. We have done this politely and behind closed doors. Often we would hear that their progressive and economic policies would disproportionately help black folks. So we should be fine with our community's needs never being addressed by name. It was infuriating. Sometimes, it seemed, some Democratic politicians were happy to publicly name and embrace every part of the Democratic coalition. Immigrant rights defenders, women's rights advocates, environmentalists, environmentalists, and champions of LBGT equality but not black people, at least not explicitly and certainly not comfortably. We were just supposed to sit there and hope that race-neutral rhetoric and race-neutral proposals might somehow fix our race-specific problems. I started calling this dubious strategy trickle-down justice. Today's young activists simply are not having any of it. And it goes on from there. So, he right, I mean, though. he right. He right. You know he right. And please don't. I would also be clear that I don't always agree with Van Jones. Oh. Well, obviously, Van Jones, friend of the show, uh, he's been uh, very nice to us. He's uh, come on a few times, uh, and I, I actually like him personally. I don't always agree with him. I like. I think sometimes uh, his, his framing might be slightly off on things, but that's a lot, that's with a lot of people. There are people that I would call out around various things, and I, it's not that I just like them personally. It's just like, no, that's wrong. But this right here, he right down. Hello, Jay. This is V from Western New York. I just listened to episode 942. And, um, my friend, I, uh, hate to say it, but I told you so. There is a deep-rooted conservatism in the progressive community. The question that I always find myself asking, specifically when it comes to the idea of the progressive community, is where are they progressing to? Black people have seen no remedy to what we have been going through for the last 40 plus years. Listening to that episode was difficult because America is, I don't even know if we can say it's at a crossroads anymore. It may be beyond a crossroads. But the quote left needs to now realize either you are going to be the left or you are not. Meaning either you are honest to God going to stand for, you know something, this system has to fundamentally change or you're not. And that is the true issue at the heart of the quote left today. Are you going to be the left or are you going to be the center right? With racism, I see too much center right. I see what people say, but 
I'm going to be very blunt with you here. White people do a lot of talking. They've always done a lot of talking. Let's talk to the Native Americans about how much talking white people have done. Until your actions catch up with your words, it's hard for me to believe you. So they got to make a choice now. Good show, though. But it was hard to listen to. And the choice is you guys. Is keep up the good work. Peace. Hey, Jay. How's it going? This is uh, David from Georgia. And I just wanted to comment really quickly on the uh, Black Lives Matter protest in Seattle. And I, I want to say that uh, it's interesting because uh, <laughs> I hear a lot of people saying, uh, a lot of white progressives saying that, you know, why are they protesting us? You know, we're, we're allies. And uh, I just read a piece in Political that was very good about uh, how Joe Biden killed busting. And uh, also in uh, connection with the This American Life piece of the last two weeks, um, how the uh, school system is still very much segregated in some districts, some liberal districts, more segregated than it was uh, when Brown versus the Board of Education was passed. And I think what's happening is, you know, a lot of old wounds are starting to come to the surface for black progressives or the black community in general and the fact that some of the fiercest opposition to uh, racial progress in this country hasn't come from conservatives but liberals. Um, you know, it was liberals who pretty much formed a lynch mob in Boston during the 70s when black kids were bust out of terrible schools um, and given a real opportunity for an education. And to this day, you know, uh, I'm from New York. New York is, I believe, still the most segregated school district in the country. Um, and I'm sure you can find the same thing in San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, you know, wherever liberals like to congregate and congratulate themselves for not being racist. Um, and on, on that point, um, and I'll be really quick, you know, I think it's very interesting how racism has been conflated to be a, you know, personal belief. You know, well, I'm not racist because I don't mind black people and, you know, I have black friends and so on and so forth. And, you know, that's all cool. But I think people forget that what racism is, is a uh, system put in place to control the distribution of wealth and resources. That's what it's always been. You know, it's, it's slavery was an economic uh, system to begin with in that uh, all of the wealth produced by black slaves were uh, put in white hands and kept there. Black people still have not received any of the fruits of their labor from slavery. And, uh, you know, housing segregation, school segregation, and every other area of segregation in this country still operates to that effect. So when people say that they're not racist because I like black people, what they forget is, you know, that construction of racism allows them to participate in racism without realizing it. Um, and of course, you know, it's a fact that's not been lost on black people ever. And I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's what's really uh, starting to come to the, come to the, I guess, forefront now that uh, uh, we're getting deeper into this Bernie Sanders race. So I just wanted to uh, leave that comment and, um, and uh, add my two pieces there and uh, uh, keep it up love the show and uh, have a good day thanks for listening everyone thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line if you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show you can either record a message on the voice memo app of your phone and email it to me jay at bestofleft.com or leave a voicemail at 202-999-3991 now today I definitely have a bit I want to add I have a feeling that there's still going to be a lot of questions people have 
have left over. So let me see if I can make some clarifications. I think it has been a misunderstanding by many that these protests have been focused only on presidential candidates. That is clearly not true, especially in the case of the Netroots Nation protest. The Black Lives Matter activists have been making it very clear that they are calling out white progressives as a group, as well as presidential candidates, for their relative ignorance and apathy on the issue of racial justice. So if you cannot figure out why they don't care more about being sensitive to the feelings of their white allies... Keep in mind that it stands to reason that the Black Lives Matter protesters had every intention of offending white progressives and making them uncomfortable from the very beginning, because they weren't just collateral damage in these actions, they were one of the targets. Now, you may be offended by the idea that white progressives should be targeted by these protests at all. Uh, I would say that you're wrong about that, but... That's a topic for another day. Uh, now, I want to address the Seattle protest itself. When I first saw it, my reaction was to think, that is not going to play well. And, it, you know, that turned out to be quite an understatement, obviously. Uh, but my second thought was to wait and see what a bunch of people had to say about it and that I would hold my final judgment until I knew more. And that evening, I went to check out uh, Elon James White's Twitter feed. I just want to see what he had to say about it. And it turned out he was in the middle of a barrage of questions and criticism over the Seattle situation. And for the most part, people wanted to argue with him over the tactics of the protesters, and he just simply refused to engage on that subject. His main point was that if he were to allow the conversation to refocus on the tactics, it detracted from what the focus should be, which is the simple point that, Black people are dying in the streets. And he summed it up with this series of tweets. He says, A lot of y'all mistake the refusal to allow derailing and recentering of the Black Lives Matter movement as defense for any and all actions anywhere. Even within movements, there are disagreements. The movement, like our community, doesn't always agree on every action. We are humans. But I'll be damned if I sit quietly as y'all attack folks literally screaming for their lives, for forcing our crisis to be centered. Just like when a lot of y'all wanted to focus on burning cars instead of the dead kid and occupying police force literally a year ago. You want tactics? This is a tactic. The absolute refusal of allowing this conversation to be recentered on your feelings and comfort. So get your shit together. Stop bullshit, but allies, and marched with King, and other canned responses. We are dying in the streets. Now, that breakdown of his stance really helped me understand the bigger picture of what was going on here and the dynamics of how movements like this work. People have different parts to play in a movement. The Black Lives Matter protesters are in charge of how they decide to protest. And Elon, not being an active member of Black Lives Matter, had decided that his role was to help maintain focus of the discussion on the goal of racial justice rather than allowing everyone to get distracted by the tactics. So that got me thinking about, you know, what my role is in all of this. Was it to critique the protesters? Is it to endorse the protesters? Uh, should I saddle up and help Elon hold the line on the focus of the debate? And, you know, this show isn't about snap judgments and quick reactions. It's about doing a lot of deep listening. And so that's what I decided to do. And that's what I said a couple of episodes back, that the best way forward for everyone not directly engaged and fully informed on the Black Lives Matter movement was to listen first and speak second, if at all. And then we come to today. And I had to decide what kind of a show to make. Uh, so again, 
what role should I play? The dominant narrative coming out of all of this is that there's a split in the progressive movement over tactics of Black Lives Matter, exactly the conversation Elon was trying to resist over a week ago. And there's plenty of thoughtful and even more not at all thoughtful criticism of Black Lives Matter basically saying that they should care more about the feelings of white potential allies to their movement. On the other hand, there's a lot of commentary like you heard on today's show explaining why the reaction many white people are having is counterproductive and that they're the ones who need to get their shit together rather than the BLM protesters. And, you know, as a general rule... I like to go where the ignorance is with this show. And even if there's reasonable criticisms to be made of some of the tactics of the Black Lives Matter protesters, I don't think those protesters are ignorant at all. I'm also quite confident that there's already an internal debate going on within BLM, so I didn't feel like they needed my help. But on the other hand, there are a lot of ignorant, if well-meaning, white people who needed to hear some new perspectives, and it so happens that my audience is mostly white, so that seemed like the best use of my time. And finally, if you're still wondering what the problem is with simply speaking out critically of the Black Lives Matter movement as a well-meaning ally just trying to help, there is a reason why all of that criticism of Black Lives tactics is unhelpful beyond the fact that most of the criticism is just ignorant. Uh, But I'm going to let Tim Wise explain it in a piece that he titled Black Lives Matter, Bernie Sanders, and the Problem with Some White Progressives. He is an anti-racist activist, but also a white guy who is an expert at explaining shit to white people in a way that they'll understand. So he says from the middle of the piece, quote, I understand the frustration of some within the Sanders camp, including folks of color who feel, rightly or wrongly, that the tactics of some within Black Lives Matter might backfire or split the movement for social justice, within which we need all kinds of folks, focus on all kinds of issues, including the economic inequality ones upon which white activists are often concentrating. I get it. I do. And personally, I too have questions about tactics and strategy on both sides. And I suspect that as with most things, there is plenty of legitimate feedback and even criticism to go around for folks on all sides. But there is one thing about which I am crystal clear. The place to air those concerns and to have those discussions is not out here in the wide and very public world of the interwebs. This is one of the things that sticks out most to me about the white lefty backlash to Black Lives Matter, precisely because those folks are not involved in BLM or the larger movement for racial justice. They don't have anyone in their personal circles or activist circles to whom they can turn and have real heart-to-heart discussions about these things. Precisely because white lefties are so often cut off from the struggles being led by people of color, they, we, lack the insights, the narratives, the humility, and the opportunities to hash this stuff out as friends and comrades behind closed doors. So instead, they, we, end up doing dirt in public, completely oblivious to the way in which truly reactionary forces and the dominant media will try to take advantage of those disagreements and drive a wedge in our movements, unquote. So the next time you think you have some thoughtful advice to give, think twice about where and how you give that advice or if it's really in the best interest of the movement for you to give that advice at all. Ask yourself first, what role should I be playing in this movement? That's going to be it for today. 
Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestofleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained We can't see past all the sad stories And wonder what we're missing We can't see past all the sad stories And forget how to listen We can't see past all the sad stories And wonder